Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. It is Wednesday, November 1st, the day after Thanksgiving. Mark, the ducks are experiencing a little bit of a treat season right now. It's been more of a trick for the dogs, but here we are uh, heading into the last full month of college football. Both teams are ranked in the top six. The Huskies are ranked uh, number five in the recently released college football uh, playoff poll at 8-0. At the Ducks are right behind them at number six at seven and one. Mark, how are you doing, my friend? Warren, I am doing so well. I feel like uh, I'm a character in Men in Black who has their their memory erased with the little you know wand that they put in front of the forehead. I mean, the last two weeks have gone so well for the Ducks, and they have been so torturous for Washington, even though Washington has remained undefeated, that Everything has flipped. The national media is now, you know, penciling in Oregon into playoff scenarios. It's like that loss to Washington never happened. It's evaporated mm. out of my mind. And yeah. I'm free and clear of any any baggage from it. It it just it feels amazing. I didn't think this could happen two weeks later. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about that storyline first and foremost. Like I said, number five and number six, Washington is the lowest ranked. Uh, undefeated team out of like the power five conference teams. Um, and Oregon is the highest ranked one loss team with their only loss coming, of course, to the university of Washington. And so really the way I see it, and I think probably you and everybody else who's a prognosticator out there is that ultimately these two teams are headed for a rematch and both teams completely control their destiny. If Washington wins out, uh, they will be in the college football playoffs. If Oregon wins out, you know, and, and defeats Washington, presumably in the Pac-12 championship, they will be in the college football playoffs. So really, you know, aside from the, the, the fact that we do have the win over Oregon, it's pretty much a, a, an exactly level playing field for both teams, if not slightly to the advantage of Oregon right now. Well, it's funny because I think that 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 um, fr from the Ducks' perspective, uh, my apologies for my office phone ringing in the background here. <laughs> no worries. For uh, from the Ducks' perspective, Warren, I think that uh, the loss to Washington was the type of loss that people could look at and say, well, Hey, they went on the road against a really good team and they played them right down to the wire. Like we can't really punish him too much for that. And so it's almost like we got the benefit of taking the one loss that really doesn't destroy a reputation at this time of year. Mm -hmm. Whereas now the Huskies are at a disadvantage. Whereas if they lose any game the rest of the year, it's not going to be nearly as impressive as losing on the road at Seattle to, you know, this particular Washington team. Yeah. So, so it almost then, and then, then it puts Washington in a precarious position where now did Washington just fall behind Oklahoma and Texas. And like, you know, it, it kind of becomes mm -hmm. agonizing. So it is this funny thing where Washington absolutely has the head to head win. They get the bragging rights that come with that, but there's really no like, 
consequences from getting that win. It certainly appears like if both teams take care of business, they would have to get another win mm. to really secure their place in in the playoffs. And and for the Ducks, it feels like everything is at their hands to earn a chance at some some redemption. So it's it's just interesting the way that that is turned out. Absolutely. And so just as a reminder, you know, the Huskies won a thriller of a game against Oregon in Seattle as a result of a missed field goal to end the game. Since that time, Oregon defeated uh, Washington State 38-24. to Washington barely escaped uh, a one-win Arizona State, uh, winning at home 15-7. to Last week, Oregon demolished Utah, and we'll break down that game, 35-6. to Washington, again, barely escapes uh, a, you know, abysmal Stanford team uh, who only had two wins, uh, 44-33. to So, uh, again, all the, the mojo, all the momentum right now is on the Duck side, but the record still remains 8-0. And seven and one. I would think, Mark, that you know the the best case scenario. If you're a fan for the dog of the dog and duck show, the best case scenario of, of you know what what would happen for both these teams is if both win out. You know, if Washington um, can win against USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, and by virtue of the fact that Michigan and and Ohio State who are both ahead of them uh, will be playing one another. I would, I would like to suggest Mark that if we, if we finish the season with four more wins, we should be the number one or the number two team in the nation, the university of Washington, uh, because of who we face in this remaining schedule. So you could very well have a scenario where going into the PAC 12 championship, Washington is number one or number two in the nation and Oregon is number four, if not higher, depending on what other kind of chaos ensues. So you could have a scenario again, if, if all you care about is seeing both these teams, uh, you know, finish as high as possible, you could have a scenario where Oregon defeats a number one or number two Washington in the, the Pac-12 championship, and somehow there's a a, a storyline that allows both of them to get to the playoffs. Not yeah. likely, especially where we stand right now. But yeah. again, I think if Washington controls its destiny and wins out, um, any of these feelings that we have right now about a close win over yeah. Stanford, a close yeah. win over Arizona State, those will be ancient history because they're going to have to play – some good football, in my opinion, to be able to beat USC on the road, Utah at home, Oregon State on the road, and then of course the perhaps the most hotly com- you know competed finale of the Apple Cup, uh, yeah. you know the the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a fierce gauntlet for the Huskies to get through. But if they do, um, I think they'll finish in the top one or two heading into the Pac-12 championship. Well, just so just to be clear, what we're talking about is we're talking about can both of these teams go undefeated through a 
a November slate that includes multiple ranked opponents. And while I think it's fair to assume that Oregon and Washington would at least be slight favorites in every game from here on out, penciling either of them in, I think it's more likely that uh, both of them lose a game than, than that both of them uh, go undefeated through this stretch. Like it's yeah. just, it's so, so hard to do. I went back and looked Warren since 2007, which was the first year that Chip Kelly came to Oregon as an offensive coordinator. So that's about, that's what, 16 years. Mm-hmm. The last 16 years, Oregon has had 10 teams enter November with one loss or less and ranked in the top seven in the country 10 times that basically they've been in the same position that they've been in now. And of those 10 teams, eight of them lost in November and all eight of them lost to a team that on paper, they should not have lost to that. They were either ranked ahead of or to an unranked opponent. The only two Oregon teams that survived that November unscathed were their two teams that both played in the national title game. So if Oregon survives these next four games, that certainly puts them in the conversation with some of the best Oregon teams of all time. If Washington survives these next four games, we're talking about an undefeated regular season, which has, which has not happened since, since the pack 10 expanded to the pack 12. If, if you look back into the pack 12, you're looking at um, Chip Kelly's Oregon team that went 12 and 0 in the regular season and lost in the title game. You're looking at two Pete Carroll teams. You're looking at the Don James team and that's pretty much it until you go really far back, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so, so in both cases, you know, we're kind of talking excitedly for understandable reasons about, well, what if these two teams can just win out and then play each other again, but for either of them to win out would mean that they are historically good. And as Dan Lanning uh, said recently, he said, good teams uh, win in October, great teams win in November. And so, we're we're going to test that theory uh, with both of these squads in the next four weeks. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about a little bit about the the two games this past weekend, and then we'll look ahead to what has been circled on the calendar for this entire season for the Washington Huskies. A game on the road against USC. A lot of prognosticators who saw the Huskies going through the season with one loss said, yeah, that USC on the road game may be their one, uh, you know, one f- opportunity to falter. But uh, Mark, you and and Jake and JJ uh, covered for me last week, and you talked about some narratives that, you know, kind of came out of the, the Arizona State game. So maybe kind of rehash what those narratives were, and then we'll talk a little bit about what the Stanford game said about those things well yeah it's it's interesting warren because the the narrative coming out of arizona state was very much what is wrong with the washington offense what happened uh with the washington offense they didn't score an offensive touchdown they looked totally out of sync uh and i think the the narrative surrounding the defense was well that was a heroic performance like Mm -hmm. you know they they absolutely came through when they needed to they they got the benefit of a of a key call there that we don't have to go into detail of but um no but the washington defense you know came through in in every respect fast forward to the stanford game and i i mean i go back and forth score wise you would say it's the washington defense that had the rough outing more 
than the offense. It was the Washington, Washington defense gave up 495 yards of offense. They gave up 367 through the air. Obviously they, you know, they gave up, you know, over 30 points to a Stanford team that had really struggled to score against good teams. But I do wonder, Warren, if if that Stanford game furthered some of those concerns about the offense as well. They had five punts and two turnovers, including a key Michael Penix interception in the end zone mm-hmm. when Washington was trying to put the game away that really gave Stanford, you know, some life and one final possession to, tr- to try to make things interesting. So where are you at now through these last two weeks, one of them being this low scoring slugfest, one of them being a a little more of a shootout, but not not totally a shootout. I mean, uh, Washington had some issues at times, had a few three and outs at times. Like, Mm -hmm. what is your kind of take on this this Washington team now coming out of these two just kind of bizarre performances against two of the, the perceived weaker teams in the conference? Yeah, you know, I think it, those are all fair points. And, you know, certainly, uh, you know, there's a lot of Husky fans who feel uh, as strongly about the 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 pass interference on Roma Dunze for that interception as, uh, you know, non-Husky fans feel about the Arizona State call. Uh, so, you know, the the photos of the, the jerseys being pulled are almost identical. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. When you have an, a future NFL quarterback and three future NFL receivers and you have an undefeated record, you don't get a complaint about PI calls the way a one in five team true. with a third string quarterback does. True. Yes. But when, <laughs> when, uh, especially I, when one call was in the first half and one was with like six minutes left in the game. No, I'm thinking of <laughs> one. Uh, yeah. So, okay. But I think, uh, I think clearly, you know, that's the nature of college football. So you just have to roll with it. And, you know, we can, we can complain as fans, but uh, it is what it is. And we've been rooting for PAC 12 teams long enough that we know this is how it goes with PAC 12. officials. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the second half of the Oregon game and of course, Michael Penix is, you know, signature moment was throwing the touchdown to Roma Dunze to take the lead and ultimately to win the game. But we know now that he was not at a hundred percent. He was, you know, hooked up to IVs. He was having some major cramping. Um, He clearly wasn't at his best as visible, you know, visible by the, the, the leaning over the three and outs two time, two series in a row. Um, And then, uh, you know, there was something that was off with him in the Arizona State game, never really clearly identified what that was. And then in the Stanford game, you know, it was shared that he was dealing with sickness. So we really don't know. Was it an injury? Was it uh, a sickness? Was it just off? Was he just having a bad day? Who knows? But But there is a sense that I think Michael Penix has not been at his best physically the last two and a half games. And that has certainly played itself out as the whole team has also been dealing with injuries and, and sickness and those kind of things as well. So the question is, is can that be shaken? You know, like, can he go into the game on Saturday against USC feeling like a healthy 
Michael Penix. And if he does, what kind of a difference is that going to make? Secondly, even a sick Michael Penix uh, threw for 369 yards, four touchdowns, and one questionably called interception. It could have just as easily been 400 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, if that, you know, if that PI had been called. Yeah. So, um, so even Michael Penix on a bad day is pretty darn good. Looking at the numbers against Stanford. Yeah. The, the, the most critical aspects was the interception and the fumble by Jalen Polk, right. uh, you know, two, two things that you wouldn't typically see. And if you take those away, this could be a totally different conversation that we're having. Again, of course, this is college football. You can't take those away. They happen and you just have to deal with it. But if Washington can come into this game against USC and clean that up, it will dramatically change the storyline. I also look at the numbers. Dylan Johnson finished with 86 yards on 18 carries, averaged 4.7 yards a carry. So it's not like the offense was completely inept. They put up 44 points, um, albeit against a pretty you know weak Stanford defense. But um, you know, I think that that the the concern is valid, but the cure is pretty easily attained. Like, you know, it's to me, what we're seeing is not the same thing as what we saw last year when we went through that two game stretch, losing to UCLA and Arizona state. And it looked like we were just uh, had a big gaping wound that could not be addressed by any kind of coaching scheming or improved play. It was just, it was just beyond repair until those players came back and got healthy. Um, Additionally, you know, in this game against Stanford, uh, Rome and, and uh, Polk were both healthy, but Jeremy Bernard was just coming back from an injury. Jalen Polk showed up and then he was out, uh, you know, within a few series. And then uh, Giles Jackson, who was the hero of the Oregon game, didn't even show up. I don't know fully what the storyline behind that is, but I, I have heard that um, they've been kind of trying to debate whether or not to use up his eligibility so that he can, you know, retain mm-hmm. an extra year for next year. So m- my belief is, and I could be wrong on this, Mark, but uh, my belief is he can use four games during the regular season um, and then you know, I don't actually, I'm not even sure he may not even be able to use any, I think he can only use four games all year long. So I Correct. think they're, they've been kind of trying to d- discern whether or not they needed him. And I gotcha. think when they thought that Jalen McMillan was coming back and Jeremy McMar- Bernard was coming back that they could do without him this game, but certainly after McMillan went out having, uh, you know, having Giles would have been really key. So uh, I would expect to see an all hands on deck mentality against USC. Um, and I think it's, it's going to make a, a profound difference for this team. The bigger question though, is the defense and as great as they played against Arizona state, they saved the day. Um, you know, they have been exposed against uh, they've been exposed against Oregon in particular. And then 
the Stanford team, the mobile quarterback really was the Achilles heel. They held their running backs to under 40 yards rushing, but their quarterback ran for over 80 yards and, you know, kept the, the chains moving, kept the clock running. And that was really um, a, a big problem that I think looking at Caleb Williams and what he can do, if, if they can't figure out how to solve that problem, it could be a long day for the Huskies. Yeah, I mean, I think you're the if there's one thing that works in the Huskies' favor, at least looking at the next two weeks, it's that USC and and Utah are both one half of a great team, right? The yeah. USC has this high-powered offense and a defense that is made out of Swiss cheese, and and Utah has a really sturdy defense, uh, at least until they played Oregon, and and an offense that's pretty limited or pretty one-dimensional, at least. So. I, for the record, I've had a lot of fun with you in some various text chains uh, over these past two weeks watching the Huskies struggle to put away, you know, teams that they were 23-point favorites over, different different things like that. But I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that from here on out, style points do not matter, and any win is a good win if you were the Huskies, like I do think yeah. the style points can matter a little bit in these games against the lower ranked teams. Cause sometimes it does, you know, I do think Washington's probably yeah. ranked fifth in part because of that. But I think going forward, I don't care what USC's record is. If they have the reigning Heisman winner and they're coached by an offensive mind, like Lincoln Riley, they're a team to be taken seriously. I don't care what Utah's record is. If they're coached by Kyle Whittingham and they have one of the better defenses in the country, they're to be taken seriously. The Beavers are formidable, I think. They're mm-hmm. maybe not quite as good as either of us thought they might be coming into the year. Um, but I still think they're a well-coached team that's pretty balanced on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. And the Cougars is a rivalry game, so you you throw the records out the window with those anyway. Cam Ward's a good enough quarterback that he mm-hmm. could cause some issues. So I do think that it's like – I I. I had a great deal of fun seeing the Huskies win close games these last two weeks. But if the Huskies keep winning close games at this point, they're doing their job because um, that's, that's really all that's required is getting W's um, in the month of November. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as the season progresses, the, the narratives do shape differently. And, and, you know, I think Arizona is a great example of that, you know, four weeks ago, um, Arizona seemed like they were a bottom dweller in the Pac-12. Washington goes up 21 to 7 against Arizona. And then it looks like they take their foot off the gas. They make a couple mistakes and the game finishes uh, you know, a little tighter than anybody anticipated. And people were saying, What's wrong with Washington? Why can't they put away these weak sauce teams uh, you know, like Arizona away? And then Arizona goes on to nearly beat. USC take down uh, Washington state beat Arizona or beat Oregon state. Um, So now people are saying, Hey, this Arizona team might be the fifth or sixth best team in the PAC 12, maybe better than that. Um, And then you look at Arizona state, same thing. Uh, You know, they, they look like they were uh, just the, the bottom dweller of the PAC 12. But again, uh, they they did test USC uh, 
Um, and then they beat Washington State, uh, who we thought was one of the better teams just a few weeks ago. Stanford, you know, nobody, nobody really thinks too much of them right now, but they did come back to embarrass Deion Sanders and, and, and beat, you know, Colorado. They've got Washington State next week, you know, and so (laughs) uh, (laughs) if, if the Cougars lose to, uh, Stanford and Stanford ends up winning another game, you know, in the next couple of weeks, people are going to think a little differently about that yeah. game. And so again, yeah. I'm not saying that uh, the Huskies shouldn't have performed better or, or shouldn't have won by a wider margin. Absolutely. They should have, but you know, this is kind of what we thought about the PAC 12 going into the year is that there were going to be teams that didn't deserve to win that beat, these upper echelon teams and that could have happened two times in the last two weeks, but thankfully for Husky fans, it didn't. And now they, you know, can kind of look at their, maybe their peer opponents a little bit more, um, a little bit more soberly and say, okay, we've got to be at our very best in order to beat USC this upcoming Saturday. Yeah, and I think it's good for people, for Washington fans that may be panicking a little bit to remember, this is not just a team that's 8-0. This is a team that's riding now a 15-game winning streak, which is a serious winning streak. Like, that's long enough to go start to finish in an entire season and and win a national title. That's that long of a winning streak. Uh, That requires a lot of emotional you know, investment. Um, and when you come through that and you make a big win down at Austin and then answer that win with the win at Husky stadium, like they had two weeks ago and all of the acclaim that comes with that, you know, all of the people saying that it's the biggest win at Husky stadium and everything that comes with that, you can understand where maybe this team looks at a one and five Arizona state team or a two and four Stanford team and doesn't have quite the same, get up and go, especially if their quarterback's feeling sick or, or he's nursing some broken ribs or different things. Like you can just kind of understand, you know, we, we throw out the term, will they play to the level of their competition? Sometimes that just happens mm-hmm. because humans are humans and it doesn't necessarily have to be an indictment. I went back and looked at that great uh, Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, USC team. And they had three or four games in the regular season that were kind of stunningly close against mediocre opponents. They played a four mm-hmm. and seven Stanford team down to the wire. They played a, a mediocre Oregon state team down to the wire. They almost lost to a six and six UCLA team. Like, so this is something that um, you can, you can be a great team and still have a few of these games. I think the, they usually don't happen back to back, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, I think the one thing that maybe has, Husky fans understandably a little more concerned is that usually you have one of those games and then you come out the next week and you, and you win by 40 and kind of reset everything. Uh, So I think that's maybe the part where it will be interesting now with three ranked opponents in the next three weeks. Can they flip that switch like a great team would and, and raise that level back up to where it needs to be raised to. Absolutely. And certainly Oregon has, flip the switch they've taken their team you know to really an elite level the last couple weeks so you know heading into utah there must have been at the very 
least a little bit of consternation about uh, you know facing a Utah team on the road uh, that had only lost, I believe, one time in the previous two seasons. And uh, and yet Oregon went in there and from start to finish just absolutely dominated Utah on both sides of the ball, 35 to six. So walk me through some of your impressions on that game. I mean, was it just simply that that they were, you know, that they were more talented, better execution, more motivated, um, and just they were just the superior supreme team, or was there more to it than that? Um, I I think there there are a few things. I think uh, Dan Lanning, you know, said afterwards it was the first complete game that Oregon has played since he's been head coach there, um, which was mm. a nice compliment to pay to his guys. Uh, and he also said that he thought it was the best job of preparing that his coaching staff had done leading into a game. He, he was really affirming of the job that all of the assistant coaches did in, in going the extra mile and kind of figuring out a really smart game plan on both sides of the ball. And um <laughs> Oregon gets made fun of for these cinematic recaps that uh, that yeah. get released during during uh, the week. But the one this week is especially fascinating because they use the conversations on the headsets between the coaches as kind of a narrative device, setting things up, and then they they splice the game action with the Friday meeting that Lanning had with the players, where Lanning is going through some things on film and identifying some different concepts that they were confident we're going to be successful and there was one specific play for Oregon's I think was their second touchdown of the game where uh Utah flexes into a certain front and Nix is scrambling around the play clock's running down he's switching Jordan James into a different position in the backfield he's shouting out some audibles you see on the cinematic repack that the coaching staff is a little bit panicking like what call is he checking us into is he seeing what we're seeing and then Nick's snaps the ball, the receivers all go running out in their routes, and James slips out of the backfield down the center of the field and is wide open for a touchdown. It's a play that they haven't run all season, or they haven't thrown that specific pass all season at least, mm. uh, was left wide open for a touchdown. On the cinematic recap, they basically talked you through in the pregame meeting how the center of the field is going to be wide open on this certain circumstance. And after the game, when Bo Nix was asked about it, he said that they – went through that exact scenario on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. So that's how he knew what he was doing um, mm. to, to check that call at the last minute and, and get them into the right play. And I think like, if you're an Oregon fan, just the combination of all of that is, is the type of thing that just kind of makes your heart sing because that, that is emblematic of a team that is really on the same page, players, coaching staff, quarterback directing the rest of the offense getting them out of a less advantageous play into something that's going to work better the fact that they had repped it so many times that he was able to to diagnose it uh, under fire like that I mean that's just um, I think it's a compliment to everyone involved mm -hmm. and uh, and it was a, a really cool to kind of see all of that uh, illustrated in such great detail so I think that that's kind of the story of the game is that Oregon was just a really, really well-prepared team. They had a really good game plan and they were physically overpowering Utah in a way that teams usually aren't against Utah. Yeah. And 
I mean, Utah had, it seemed as though Utah had maybe figured out some things and had kind of turned the corner post Cam rising. But did, do you believe that, that Oregon exposed Utah as a fraud? Or do you think that Utah is a, you know, a top four team in the Pac-12 and that the difference between Utah and Oregon is just that significant? Well, if they, I mean, a top four team in the Pac-12, uh, let's say they lose to Washington and they've already lost to Oregon State, but they've also already beaten USC and UCLA. So I think penciling them, them right around four would be right. They still play Arizona, who's red hot right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if Arizona beat beat Utah. But I don't, I don't think um, – I wouldn't just write off Utah because they they got hammered. Like, coming into that game, there was a lot of confidence that this team was kind of figuring some things out. There was a lot of talk by myself included of, like, here here – there's Kyle Whittingham. He's doing it again. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, statistically speaking, they had one of the best defenses in the country, and I think still do. Yeah. And I think that defense is still good enough to really cause teams problems, but they are certainly limited offensively compared to what they would be if if Rising were healthy. Well, we talked a little bit about some of the pregame chatter, and and before that game on Saturday, I sent you. A, a tweet thread and I, I wish yes. I could credit the author of the tweet thread, but it was a, a Utah super fan. And uh, he, he had a thread where he, you know, highlighted, I think around 10 reasons why Utah was going to throttle Oregon. Yeah. So I thought as a, a way to kind of cover the game, um, it'd be fun for me to read each of those statements and you can just give a quick response to that. Please uh, do. Please do. Right, so here we go. Um, and again, I sent this to you before the game, curious to see what kind of yeah. response you were going to get, but yeah. all right. Bo Nix is a fraud, just like Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams. He racks up stats versus bad defenses. Yeah. And then Bo Nix went in the first half, 13 of 14 for 142 yards and two touchdowns in the first half against Utah beat them for a second year in a row. Yeah. Dan Lanning is too aggressive. Utah has the best fourth down defense in the country and Lanning loves to lose points uh, because he goes for it on fourth down. And so Oregon did not attempt a fourth down conversion all game. Uh, Meanwhile, Utah was one for three on fourth downs after going one for four in last year's game. So maybe it's Kyle Whittingham. That's been the overly aggressive one, perhaps. Interesting. Interesting. Utah is the best defense. Oregon will see all year and it is not even comparable to the defenses they have played. Oregon's OL will not be able to slow RDL down, and the receivers will not get separation. Knicks will be rattled. He is poor under pressure. Oh, where to begin here, Warren? Let's see. Uh, Bone Knicks was not sacked all game. He completed 77% of his passes. The rushing attack averaged over five yards a carry. But my favorite stat of this game, Warren, is that Utah's standout defensive lineman Jonah Ellis, who led the Pac-12 in sacks coming in, he was not only held without a sack, he was held without a single tackle. Mm. Wow. Utah is playing at home in front of a packed Rice-Eccles Stadium. We do not lose at home, and the crowd noise will affect Oregon a lot. They are not used to this level of noise for away games. 
which I personally took offense to that statement, having <laughs> just hosted Oregon at the Husky <laughs> Stadium. And uh, we were very close to breaking the decibel record. But what are your thoughts about that one, Mark? Well, I mean, or- Oregon snapped Utah's 18-game home winning streak. They already snapped Texas Tech's 24-game home winning streak. I think uh, Lubbock, the fans in Lubbock even showed up better than the fans at Salt Lake who are politely silent for most of this game after their team fell behind 21 to three to start the game. Yeah. Bryce Barnes is getting comfortable now that rising is confirmed out for the season. Barnes can move forward as the QB one more practice reps and more confidence than ever before. And I totally bought into this narrative before the game, but that is not the case. Bryson Barnes is 15 of 29, 136 yards, no touchdowns, two picks, rough game for him. Rough game. Our players got their trucks this week, so they'll be riding with style. (laughs) Oregon players will see the team parking lot filled with nice rams and be filled with jealousy and spite. This was the one point, and I think I texted you back about this, that made me most confident in Oregon because this, honestly, this felt like an Oregon thing to give all of your players brand new automobiles. This did not feel like a Kyle Whittingham team. This felt like a program that has gone soft. Uh, I thought it was a really bad look for for Utah and uh, not surprising that that would be followed by the performance that it was followed by. Yeah, I agree. It it seems so on Utah to to do that whole spectacle of handing out the keys to the trucks to all the players. And, you know, even with those new trucks, it's hard to imagine that the Utah fans have gotten more NIL juice uh, than every single Oregon player on that roster. So it just right. felt felt a little bit uh, misguided. This is a revenge game for us. They got lucky last year and caused us to miss the playoff. We won't make this the, the same mistake. Well, unfortunately, as Washington showed Oregon a few weeks ago, the revenge case can only go so far. We have the best coach in the country. Hey, I'm open to this argument, but Dan Lanning then is 2-0 and against the best coach in the country to start his coaching career. So I'll take that. Yeah. We have gone back-to-back – we have gone to back-to-back Rose Bowls and are back-to-back Pac-12 champs. And, again, nothing to be argued there, but I don't think they're looking at a three-peat. Nope. Since 2018, the underdog has always won this matchup. Utah is seven-point dogs. And that was a fun stat to throw out because there's certainly been a lot of back and forth, but um, no longer no longer relevant. And here's a, a classic point. Oregon's jerseys suck ass. Okay, by Oregon standards, these were far from the worst Oregon uniforms that they put out on the field. And I do believe that there's a certain uniform karma that when Oregon's uniforms are especially bad, like they were in 2016 versus Washington when they looked like the Cal Bears. Yeah. I think they pay a price for that in, in some sense. Uh when they wore those highlighter yellow uniforms, I think that came back to bite them in some, these Oregon uniforms were fine. They were fine. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously Oregon won the day. They've got the mojo. They've got the momentum right now. Utah is licking their wounds. What will that mean for Washington in a few weeks? No one knows at this point, but let's look ahead. Uh, can I just say one thing real real quick, Warren, Absolutely. about this, this? This Twitter thread came from a Twitter handle called Fighting Utes. So, of course, I was curious, and I wanted to, after the game, I wanted to go back and see what, what Fighting Utes had to say, you know? Mm. Um, and 
first he kind of is tweeting out, you know, some things about why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? You know, um, cause he's obviously frustrated with how his team's performing. And then he retweets, I think maybe a, a beat writer for the Salt Lake city newspaper who, who basically says, you know, I thought Oregon was a mirage. I no longer think that this is just a, a really legit team. And he just retweets that and says, same. same. <laughs> so fighting, fighting Utes came around on the ducks about the middle of the third quarter, I think, and was just yeah. kind of like, Oh, this is just a better team. And, but then I noticed um, within a few hours of the game, he had already kind of reoriented and was talking himself into how, or how Utah was going to finish the year on a four game winning streak. So okay. that's off, that's off the fighting Utes and his right. uh, commitment to his team. This is why we love college football, but this is not the dog and Ute show or the no. duck and Ute show. This is the dog and duck show. So let's talk about this upcoming weekend. Uh, Mark, you know, typically we would think uh, facing Cal at home, not much to worry about, but uh, this is a Cal team that pushed USC to the edge this past weekend, uh, narrowly lost 50 to 49. Uh, they've proven that they can score points. Um, it is still Justin Wilcox, and we know that he can call a good defensive game, although it's been a while since he's done that. Um, what are your you know, concerns? What are your thoughts about facing Cal at home this upcoming Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think my concern would be kind of similar to what we talked about uh, with Washington is after you claim a big win and when you're reading all of your own press clippings, how do you come out and, and take care of business against an opponent that on paper you should be significantly better than? And I think Cal has at least shown us enough to say that if you totally sleep on them, they can make you pay offensively. Um, they have they have scored some points in, in a few different games. So I think Oregon's defense is is going to have to come in with a sound approach and a sound game plan. Uh, fortunately, the Cal defense this year is not like the Cal defense in most years. It's pretty baffling because Justin Wilcox has been a pretty consistent source of stability in that regard. So I'm I'm pretty hopeful, pretty confident that Oregon's offense is going to move the ball well. Uh, but I do think that the Cal offense has, has performed well enough in recent weeks to at least, um, you know, make me a little concerned about, about the defensive performance. Uh, any, any predictions on the, the score for Saturday? Oh, let's say, um, how about a uh, 40, 49 to 17? Okay. I think in the last few weeks, that seems pretty reasonable. It might be a little high. I don't think they're they're quite that heavy of a favorite. But, um, I mean, I think, yeah, Oregon's playing pretty well. I think they are in playoff mode right now. I think they're looking at each game like a playoff game, like it's a must-win game. So I, I really don't think there's going to be – an emotional letdown. Um, there was a moment real quick. I'll end on this. There was a moment in, in the late in the Utah game, they were up 35 to six. They're facing a third and five or whatever. And Nick's gets pressured and he tries to throw the ball to Irving and Irving Bucky Irving out of the backfield and Irving basically wasn't in the spot where Nick's needed him to be in. And Nick's was so fired up first barking at Irving. And then he immediately came over and he just lit into the running backs coach 
for Oregon because I think his issue wasn't so much with Irving as much as that Irving hadn't hadn't been given the proper assignment or something like that. And, and mm-hmm. he is just in the ear of the running backs coach up and down the sideline. And Joel Klatt was talking on the broadcast of just like, this is why guys love playing for Bo Nix because he, he is so competitive and, and, you know, even in a 35 to six game, he's like, we've got to fix that. We've got to fix that. Yeah. And uh, so that kind of gives me some sense that like, they're, they're not going to take these games for granted. I think they know right. what's riding on this. And I think even against some of these teams that on paper, they're significantly better than I, I think they're going to bring a really strong effort. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be absolutely shocked if the game plays out the way that the last two weeks of Husky games have played against superior, uh, you know, inferior opponents. This will definitely not be an inferior opponent that the Huskies play this Saturday. USC is still USC. They do have the reigning Heisman trophy winner. They do have Lincoln Riley and a team chocked full of, uh, you know, four-star and five-star players up and down both sides of the roster. You can say whatever you want about what the statistics say about this team's defense. Uh, you can you can be critical of Alex Grinch and uh, what he's done with, uh, you know, at least on paper, a bevy of talent. It, they've certainly underperformed. But uh, I, I remember in 2016, the Huskies were 8-0. They hosted game day with USC at home. Sam Darnold and crew came in and uh, they laid it on the dogs because, you know, we know what these teams can do that are very talented. They can get up for a big game. They can put on their best performance. And when that talent, you know, gets lined up properly and is, is rightly motivated and focused, they can beat anybody in the country. Um, so the Huskies go into this game uh, as a, you know, I think a three point or three and a half point favorite. Um, and they're going to be, they're going to be tested on every level. The, the offense, I think, um, because of what we've seen the last two weeks with Michael Penix, they're going to be tested. Um, will, you know, will Jalen McMillan be back? That's a big question. Will Giles Jackson play? Is Jeremy Bernard back to full health? If not, do they have enough firepower with Rome and Jalen and uh, the the running backs and tight ends to be able to keep up with this USC offense? And then, of course, on the on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, the Husky the Husky defense has been exposed over the last couple of years over the top uh, with the defensive backs. And uh, you've got, you know, a, you've got NFL quality receivers on that team. Some say a, a generational talent at quarterback, throwing the ball and running the ball. And then Marshawn Lloyd is a running back who is, you know, currently averaging like eight yards per carry. Yeah. And you know this this Husky offense or excuse me Husky defense has had some real trouble as evidenced by the Oregon game, just being gashed right up the middle by talented running backs. Um, So going into this game, I think there's a lot to prove for this Washington team, 
and if the Huskies can come out of this showing that they can play reasonable defense and that their their offense is back on track, I think you know the narrative nationwide will will shift again. But uh, this is going to be a real test for this Husky team. Yeah, I think you nailed it with like that the the talent on the field for USC is not to be taken for granted. Like the fact that they've really struggled defensively to get stops at times um, is concerning, of course. But like even in the Cal game, they gave up a ton of points and a ton of drives, but they also forced four turnovers and they stopped Cal on third down on fourth down three different times. And that was just kind of a weird game that there were so many possessions because when, when either team did score, they seemed to score in like a one play drive. I mean, it was just a lot of like these huge yardage plays, uh, which Washington should be able to generate. Uh, But I think they still have kind of that capacity of like, because they have some, some just some raw talent that it's like, they can also get a pick six, like they did to flip the game against Utah briefly or they can generate a big sack. They're actually one of the better pass rushing teams in the Pac-12, despite not having like a, a great overall defense. So I think that they're a defense that um, they're not going to hold Washington down. But like, if can they try to hold them to 38 points and win 42 to 38? Like that's the type of effort that they're going to need. And I do think that there's a capability for doing that against a team like Washington. I'm not saying that they will. I, I'll, I'll predict a Washington win, but I think um, it wouldn't shock me if this game is coming down to the final minutes and it's and it's right there, neck and neck. No, it wouldn't shock me. I would be shocked if it if it weren't a game yeah. that went down to the final minutes. You know, it it feels like for Husky fans, you're not going to like this comparison, but it feels like the kind of game that uh, they played years ago between Keith Price and RG3, where, you know, you had two just dynamic offensive performances and um, RG3, the the Heisman Trophy winner, and his running backs really just surged ahead in the final half of the fourth quarter. That could be the kind of scenario that we see what which team you know has the RG three that yeah, you know that will be determined. But um, you know, I would not be shocked at all if this is a forty nine to forty five type game or even even higher score than that. Um, you know, and you Mark, you said something about the Huskies should be able to make those quick scores. and certainly, no one's going to complain if Michael Penix has three or four, you know, 60 yard uh, touchdown passes to, yeah. to, to light up the Trojans. But I think part of the question that maybe need to, may need to be asked is, is that the way to go? You know, it would the Huskies be better off, you know, trying to create some drives that are sustained and, you know, have eight, 10 uh, play drives that take up three to six minutes before scoring a touchdown, simply for the fact that the last, really the last three games against Oregon, Arizona State, and Stanford, 
the time of possession has been way out of balance for this Washington right. Husky team. And, um, you know, it's at some point that's going to, to come back to bite them. You know, again, you, you never complain when you score a 92 yard touchdown on one play, uh, you know, the, the longest, longest, you know, series or shortest series in the history of Husky football. You're not going to complain about that, but when you mix that in with three and outs, um, it's really a, a, a difficult recipe for the defense to be able to maintain, um, you know, a, a strong front heading into the fourth quarter. I actually have the same thought for USC. I've I've had the same thought about both of these teams is it seems like uh, running the ball and being patient could have a benefit to your defense in this game. And I think, both of these coaches are such brilliant offensive minds, brilliant play callers um, that it almost seems like they get bored just calling running plays. <laughs> like, right. And I think this happened a little bit with the Oregon game where Dylan Johnson just shredded Oregon in the first half. And then they just kind of mysteriously. Got away from away from it. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. you know, I'm looking at USC and I'm like, they have, you mentioned it, Marshawn Lloyd averages 7.7 yards per carry. They've got another back who averages 7.8 yards per carry. That's like on the level that like Bucky Irving and Jordan James are doing, yeah. but USC yeah. is seventh in the conference in rushing yards per game. If you have that duo, you should be, you know, one of the top three teams in the league in rushing offense, because having a balanced offense you know, is just as a benefit to you. But when you have Caleb Williams, when you have Michael Penix, when you have all of these great receivers, it makes sense that they just want to throw the ball all over the yard and they're so good at it. And yeah. they generate offense. So, so easily so much of the time through that, that it, that it makes sense. Uh, but I do wonder in this game, does either of these teams just kind of say, we're going to, establish things at the line of scrimmage first and then air it out from there um, because we think a little more patient approach might be, might be a little better just to give our defense some rest. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It'll be interesting to see what these teams do to try to combat the fact that both of them have a track meet philosophy when it comes to the way that they approach their offense. Uh, well, I, you know, my prediction, I'm going to pick the dogs, no surprise there, but 48 to 44 is what I'm uh, penciling in right now for the Huskies. I do think it's going to come down to the fourth quarter and uh, it may end up being one of those scenarios where the last team to have the ball is the one that's going to win the game. Um, but let's talk about one more thing, Mark, before we, we wrap this up. And that is uh, Ian Furness, uh, who um, is a Coug, uh, recently announced that, uh, he is hearing that the Huskies and the Cougars are working towards scheduling an Apple Cup uh, reprisal in 2024 at Lumen Field as an out-of-conference game. Of course, we know this is the end of the Pac-12 as we know it. Uh, Washington State currently is on the outside looking into the, the Power Five conferences, but this would still be a compelling um, out of conference game, one that would satisfy a lot of fans and certainly draw a much larger crowd than a, you know, Tulsa or a Portland State or some other kind of throwaway type game. Um, so, 
Mark, my thought, my question for you is, you know, is that something that you would like to see uh, Oregon and Oregon State work towards? Um, you know, is there even a a neutral field where they could pull something like that off? Um, are are you hearing any rumors about anything like that? What's what's uh, what's your thoughts on the Huskies and the Cougars working to try to keep their rivalry going? And whether or not Oregon, Oregon State could do the same. Yeah, I think I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, the Huskies and the Cougars are working it out. Uh, it makes perfect sense to have it at Lumen Field, even though that's geographically much more in Husky territory. Uh, right. You know, Cougar fans are Seahawks fans too. I think they, you yeah. know, and they would probably be more willing to drive to the other side of the state to go to the Seahawks Stadium than Husky Stadium. So. Uh, I think that that's, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I hope that Oregon and Oregon state can get on some sort of a similar, uh, framework. I know that I listened to an interview with Rob Mullins, the, uh, Oregon athletic director, and he, he indicated those conversations are underway. I don't, didn't really give much beyond that. You're right that they don't really have a natural kind of third place to have such a game unless they went up to Seattle, which I don't think either one of those would do, or unless they went down to a place like Las Vegas, which maybe would have more appeal if they had an annual game in Las Vegas. Uh, but I, you know, I, I just hope that they can somehow figure out some way to keep this thing going because it would be really unfortunate to have a rivalry like that just completely swept away all in the name of the almighty dollar yeah and you hit that hit on the head i was just about to say i we know that the that money is the driving factor in almost all of these decisions that are being made in college football today but you gotta think that on some level there is a long-term money play for keeping these rivalries alive i mean again You know, I I don't know the numbers. I haven't seen the, you know, what the budgets look like. But, you know, if if you could have a sold out Lumen Field uh, with two in-state rivals playing one another versus a home game against a Portland state that has, you know, an announced attendance of 44,000 people, but actually like 25,000 people in the stadium. Right. Like, like, does that really make that much more sense financially that you can't, you can't pull this thing off and say, you know what, if we're going to, you know, have a generation, the next generation of fans, um, let's, let's keep this rivalry going. Cause it's going to mean a lot more people are going to be talking about Washington Husky football, a lot more with a Cougar game than they are with some other random opponent. Um, and then the other, the other thing that, that I'm curious about Mark is like, again, if nothing changes and, and maybe you, you're hearing things that I haven't heard, I've been a little bit out of the loop, but if nothing changes and Washington state and Oregon state continue to, to stay on the outside looking in, um, you know, both teams right now are competitive, but will they still be competitive four years from now? Uh, I mean, or will they have completely washed out with all of the, the talent that, that will choose to go elsewhere? Yeah. I mean, I think if we're reading the writing on the wall, it seems like 
they're going to be in some kind of modified version of what the Mountain West currently is, whether that's still under the Pac-12 name or whether that's, you know, under some other arrangement. But it, it seems like, and I don't necessarily think they want to be aligned with all of those schools, but I think we're going to see some version of those two schools and kind of the better brands out of the Mountain West form some sort of conference with each other mm -hmm. and um the way that the current agreement is they would have access to the playoff as you know one of a as a conference champion um don't know if those spots might become a little more tenuous under whatever the next round of negotiations is but mm -hmm. uh i don't know i'm i'm looking at like oregon state's history and i'm saying i mean they've had five five top 25 seasons since 2000 since that great dennis erickson team that came out of nowhere and then mm -hmm. prior to that they didn't have any top 25 seasons for like 30 years so mm -hmm. could they could they mirror that in some version of the mountain west i don't see why not i don't see why they couldn't be like what what fresno state has been in mm -hmm. recent decades, you know, um, yeah. pr probably not Boise State under Chris Peterson, but like a, a notch below that of just kind of, yeah, a good a good team that occasionally goes like ten and two, and and if they play somebody uh, from the West Coast, if they have a non conference game against Stanford or Cal, that it's a competitive game. Like that's kind of what Fresno State is now, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I could envision. I, I, if anything, I think competing in that level might actually help the Beavers and the Cougars kind of establish a little more of a foothold in those leagues. They're not going to have as many four and eight or three and nine seasons where they really have right. to reset everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, Hey, this has been good. We'll keep uh, posted on that. Make sure to stay tuned to the dog and duck show. We'll be back next week to talk about, what happened with Washington's uh, road game against USC and of course, Oregon's home game against Cal. The games are only getting more important and uh, more critical as the season goes on. Mark, as your coach said, um, good teams win in October, great teams win in November. Uh, last year, the Huskies went undefeated in November and it, it uh, was the difference for them. Can they do it this year? Can they keep the 15 game winning streak going? Kalen DeBoer is 19 and two as a Husky head coach. Uh, but these next four games are going to tell a very, very big story. I, I'm not really sure what difference it made for them last year. It's not like they played in the conference title by going undefeated in November. I think, I think you're misleading our listeners a little bit there, Warren. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, it, I think it made a huge difference. We finished 11 and two and entered into this season with a lot of momentum, a lot of belief that this was a team that was, uh, you know, was destined for something special. I don't, I don't know if Penix and uh, Roma Dunze and all those players come back if they stumble a game or two in November last year. So I think no, it's, I, I think, I think, it's, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. The only distinction I would make is I do think last year, those two losses kind of helped Washington get off the radar. And so they yeah. 
could, I don't know that they caught teams by surprise as much as they could play a little freer of expectations because they weren't really like juggling things like playoff possibilities and conference title implications and everything like that. And I, I do think that helped them. And I do think that this month ahead is going to be a different uh, a different level of intensity from all of that uh, yeah. standpoint. Yeah, I mean, uh, we to be fair, we did go into the last week of the season with a scenario that could have allowed us to win the Pac-12 and or go to the Pac-12 championship. The way that the tiebreakers fell, the Huskies were eliminated. But I agree. You know, this is a this is a new level of pressure. I think for both teams, um, they're they're both their expectations are set higher this year than they were at this time last year. And, um, and, and we'll see which team can handle that pressure and perform the best in November as coach Lanning said. So with that, we'll wrap things up for all my dog fans out there. Keep your heads up. We're eight and oh, we're number five in the country. Go dogs. And for all my duck fans, go ducks. All right. We'll catch you guys next time.